Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Welcome to Face to Face. This is a show about change and what's next. It's a show that asks questions and peels back the layers of our average everyday experience and goes beyond scratching the surface. We interview people doing incredible things who are making a difference around the globe. Join me as we listen in and get one step closer to understanding that big ideas shared create collaboration. Collaboration can inspire community, and communities create social change. I'm David Peck, and this is Face to Face. So my next two guests are Barry Cohen and Brian Loki, and we talk about the new film Unloved, Huronia's forgotten children this is a powerful and compelling film this is the kind of movie this is the kind of story that everyone needs to see let me just read this uh this uh, one uh, two sentence statement here about the film quote for more than a century a horrific ontario institution ruined lives a filmmaker on a personal quest gives survivors a voice close quote. Uh, this is a very personal, very intimate, uh, very gripping film by Barry Cohen uh, about uh, Huronia and more importantly about the people who were there. And uh, this is a film about institutionalization. It's about oppression. It's about uh, principalities. It's about power. It's about uh, stepping into uh, a part of our past here in Ontario that uh, none of us uh, uh, well, many of us, I'm going to say, uh, didn't really know much about. And and seeing the details play out in this story and through these people's lives is really uh, quite a um, horrific and uh, it's kind of terrifying, really. And it's one of those stories where you 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 think if a portion of this is true, wow, what where and how did we go so wrong? This is the kind of film that's going to resonate around the world. I think there's a global message here. I think this is not just for Canadians and not for just uh, Ontarians, that's for sure. But I think cultures all over the world will be able to take lessons away from this and and learn uh, many, many things, not only about how to be better humans, but about how to provide a better care uh, for for others. So stay tuned. Uh, currently, you can see it on CBC Gem uh, here in Canada. And uh, it was at Hot Docs last year and did uh, very well. And um, it's a film that, that again, um, it touches on some very personal and very intimate issues. We talk a, a lot about wood carving, uh, and you're going to hear a little bit more about that. And, and, and Brian, uh, it turns out Brian is quite the craftsman. He is a, I would say he's a cabinet maker. He's a sculptor of a certain uh, kind. And uh, we, we talk about uh, a carving that he's made, and I think you're going you're gonna to get a real kick out of the work that he does. As I said before, this is a film about you know oppression and power and institutions and about uh, what not 
to do and about sort of those darker places, I guess you could say in, in, in human, human nature, we talk about therapy, we talk about uh, junk science and we get into eugenics a little bit. And we talk about this idea of othering somebody and what does that actually mean? And how, how does that dehumanize? How does that uh, take away from uh, the, the person and who they, they really are? We talk about capitalism and, and about um, something, a really beautiful phrase. We talk about the conditions of possibility, you know, what could be. This is a film about memory. It's about trauma. It's about, it's about pain. It's about the past. It's about family. It's about, I mean, so many things. Barry has made a very uh, layered and important film. Rememberevername.com is one of the websites that you want to visit. And the other is unloved.com. Com. You can find more information about that. And they both of those websites will become more meaningful to you uh, once you've certainly heard the, the, the interview, but also uh, seen the film. So again, CBC Gem, you'll find out more about the film there and be able to watch it. Don't forget davidpecklive.com for more information about my writing and speaking and podcasting. It's all there. You can buy a copy of Real Changes Incremental. More importantly, though, please, you know, wherever you're listening to podcasts, subscribe to Face to Face and please leave us a review. If you're listening slash watching on YouTube, give us a thumbs up, subscribe to the channel. But again, more importantly, leave us a review. We would so appreciate it. Stay tuned uh, for a compelling conversation with Barry Cohen and Brian Logie. My name's David Peck, and you're listening to Face to Face. Well, welcome to Face to Face. We are joined by two very special guests here with us today to talk about a, 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 a a beautiful and brilliant and disturbing film called Unloved, Huronia's Forgotten Children. Writer, director, producer, storyteller Barry Cohen is here with us and survivor Brian Logie here on Face to Face today to chat about this new and important film. Um, Brian, Barry, thank you for joining me today. Thank you. Glad to be here. B Barry, I guess, you know, the film's opening up in, in uh, online very soon. Let's talk about that. It's going to be on CBC Jam. People are going to be able to get to it uh, through the platform. Uh, so check it out there. The film is called Unloved. Can you, I guess, maybe you don't want to give too much away, but I suppose it's it, it really is kind of a... Um, a detective story that you've put together here. I mean, you really do, you could almost call it uncovered in a sense, but, mm -hmm. but unloved is so much more apropos, it seems to me. And by the way, before you step into an answer of any kind, congratulations. I, can I say that I love this film? Is by it, all means. I know yeah. it's not an easy film to love. I hope people love the characters or, you know, the storytellers and the, and the, and the heroes who survived uh, unspeakable harm as children. And, and, you, and as we know, when you suffer harm as children, it, it, it carries through with, into your life. And um, so I'm eternally grateful to you know, the storytellers and my own family who, who shared their, their experiences and their histories and stories with us. Um, but yes, I'll take that. Yes, you can. Yeah. You can. Yeah, it is. It is. Embrace it for sure. Yeah, it's a film that needs to be seen. It's the kind of film that needs to be written about and talked about uh, around the dinner table. And I hope and trust students are going to write about it and 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 perhaps uncover yeah, more stories. And I think there's an intimacy to it that makes it so uh, relevant on so many levels. Barry, can you tell us a little bit about how you were? Um, I guess, first introduced into this story and, and maybe that, oh, wow, you know what? I have to make a film about this. 
Right. Well, first, I just want to say it's also going to be on the CBC main television network on Sunday, 29th uh, at, at 8 p.m. Um, so that's kind of the television broadcast. Jan 29th, 8 p.m. CBC. Yeah, thank you. Um, so it happened, um, my sister, who is from my dad's first marriage, um, and my sister Adele called me one day and said, hey, did you hear about this class action lawsuit that got settled? So this was in late 2013, almost 10 years ago now, uh, nine, nine years ago, because I think the settlement was in December 2013 when it was finally approved by a judge. And um, I said, what do you, I didn't understand what she was saying. What are you talking about? She said, oh, about Aurelia, about, you know, that place where Alfie was. Okay, so Alfie was our brother, who I never knew, from my dad's first marriage, her brother. All I knew at that point in 2013 was that I had a brother who I never knew who had been sent as a small child to this hospital. I didn't even know its name. All I knew was Aurelia, this hospital in Aurelia. And I said, well, what's going on? And she said, well, it was an awful place. They hurt children. And, and the residents, so find out. And later on, and this is in the film, I discover, we discover that in fact, another brother that I had, Adele's other brother, Louis, was also there. But my dad never told us that. Wow. And he took that to his grave. And in the course of researching the film and making the film, I discovered that he had been there too. But the aha moment was pretty much that night because I immediately went to my computer and I looked up, uh, I, it was in the newspaper, so I looked up the newspaper online, and then I found the name of the law firm, Kosky Minsky. I went onto their website, and I read, and they had a bunch of documents publicly available online at that point, and it had the statement of, of the plaintiff's statement of, right. of uh, claim, all, and it was this big document, like 75, 80 pages. Right, yeah, and I just devoured it that night, and I was floored. Hmm. I was shaking with, and it was such a, an incredible statement, uh, very well-researched, detailed, based on tons of interviews, because they were ready to go to trial. This was part of their prep going to trial. Well, it didn't happen, and that's a whole other story we can get into about class action the flaw in class action law in Canada. Hmm. But I read this and I went, I bet you nobody knows this exists, that this existed and that probably kind of still exists, but I bet you nobody knew this. No, nobody um, knows. The, and if they do know about it, they certainly don't know. They didn't the know story. about these institutions. They didn't know that these harms were going on, that they had been documented for many, many, many years that there had been government inquiries, that there had been media reports, and nobody did, you know, nobody did anything. And um, and I was furious, and I thought, I have to do, I've got to do something. Got to do something about it. I've got to do something. And, um, and so I met with Adele, my sister, and I said, I can't do this without you, because it's about your brothers, too. And you're the one who remembers them even a little bit. And is it okay though? It was a big ask because it's very wounding, a lot of pain. Sure. And I said, 
but think about it. And she didn't think about it. She said, yes, absolutely. I said, oh, no, still think about it. Right. And she did. And then she said, yeah, let's do this. And I said, well, let me find out about it. And then as time went on and I connected up with the litigation guardians, Marilyn and Jim Dolmash, they were able to share with me that there were site tours of the buildings arranged as part of um, the class action. One of the promises was people could go to the buildings, um, survivors and families and supporters. So Adele wanted to go. And that's when I took my camera for the first time. That was the first first time. Yeah. And that was in, I think, how, May or June 2014. Brian, I want to ask you how you're involved with this story for our listeners. They probably have not seen this film yet but we're certainly going to help, hope that they get to see this in, in the very near future. Uh, tell us a little bit about your story and how you're connected to Barry. And uh, did well, you get a phone call from Barry? Was that what it was? <laughs> no, I met Barry there on site. Wow. Okay. So, and, uh, well, there's everybody... something really beautiful about that. Well, it was, it, it was different. Uh, um, I was, uh, I was horrified of being in that place. Hmm. Uh, nobody really cared um, until Barry came along. It, it was it was like it was like uh, people were saying, "Well, it isn't true. They don't do this thing. They don't. They, they never done this thing." So, in other words, they're, they're taking a look at me now. They say, "Well, listen, this thing that Brian told us before, it has to be true because now there's a movie on it." So she actually made everybody aware of what was going on in there, which 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 is close to my heart now. I mean. I, I'm beside myself in this movie. I mean, it was incredible. Um, there, there wasn't a, the, the only bad thing I got about the whole thing is I never had to, I never had a chance to point out that it was him, him, her, and her that mm. did this to us. Yeah, Brian, there's one point in the movie where you're, you're chatting, I think you're being interviewed, and you, it sounded to me like you were, you were really, you wanted accountability. I mean, you, yes, sir. right. And I think most of us would want that, right? Like yes. you need to pay for what you did. You need to, we I, need, right. We need to uncover this even further. Is that fair? That's fair. Yes. I mean, I never had any way to say, okay, somebody says, okay, that we're sorry that this happened to you. It, it just never been, it just never was. I mean, and then once I get out of that place, uh, I was only in there for three years. So the three years and my parent, uh, I guess my, my parent at that time took me out. And then I was out in the road. I was out in the street. Wow. So therefore, I mean, uh, I don't read or write. I don't call a block, but I'm good at what I do when I get a piece of wood in my hand. Right. Brian's a very talented artist. Well, I, I got I Among got other talents. Yeah. I, that comes out uh, very, very, I think, very nicely. I could, uh, I think you're, are you planing a piece of wood in the film, Brian? I could feel the warm, yeah. the yes. warm wood yeah. on my hands. I took, I, I took wood. Uh, I seem to have a, any chance I get a, a, a piece of wood in my hand. I seem to head to the shop and see what I can make with it. Oh, that's amazing. That's, and what, and what do you make? What do you make with wood? I mean, do you carve? Uh, is it, is it furniture? Yeah, I, I do a lot of carving. I, I can't remember where I put it. Um, I'd like to show you what I just finished. Yeah, I would. I would like to see that. And who knows? I mean, two hundred pieces. Two hundred pieces sounds like several chess sets. Give us a bit of an overview of the film and and take us through it. So the film is about a place, and it's also about a a, a state of of uh, of mind in a way too. With certainly the 
government state of mind about how they treated um, children labeled and or diagnosed as developmentally challenged or delayed. Um, and much like most nations in the Western world, and I didn't research other nations or other developing nations, what they do, but in, in the last, in, in, for the most part of the 20th century, they created institutions and residential hospitals, schools, they called them, where parents were compelled in many cases, or the Children's Aid Society dropped kids off to send their children, even as young as infants and toddlers, to, to okay. be in these institutions, um, separated from their families. Children's Aid often used them as dumping grounds for wayward children or children they couldn't foster out or um, children who were um, come, come from challenging families or broken families or parents who were uh, may have had mental illnesses of their own and couldn't take care of their kids. If the children's aid got a hold of them and couldn't find placements for them, they were just, they were with no uh, diagnosis properly right, right. in some cases. Well, one, of the, one of the alarming things for me that came up in the film was that in some cases it was, I think the phrase was it for immediate care. It was it was used as a, a place to say we can't afford to take care of our kids, therefore we're we're going to move them on to this you know institution. Well, in some cases, yes, that's true, but that's because in in those days, and which days am I talking about? Pretty much, you know, I mean, we're talking uh, throughout the 20th century, but primarily the focus of my film is from the 50s and 60s, 70s. There were no supports in the community. There was no direct funding for parents. There was no, um, you know, developmental services in the community. There was no um, inclusion classes in, in school rooms, in classrooms, in schools. Um, and that they didn't happen until the late 60s, 70s. I mean, I grew up at a time when we had um, more integrated education where there were kids of different levels in a classroom. Or next door to my classroom, there would be um, a separate classroom where they called special ed. Not great, but at least it was in the classroom and the kids got to go home and be with their families. That didn't really happen. It didn't happen for my brothers. So, But what did happen was these overcrowded, faraway institutions where kids were kind of, you know, locked away and forgotten, mistreated. There was no oversight. There was... Um, you know, emotional, sexual, physical abuse on a recurring basis, a very stressful environment, and no empathy or love for these children and no proper, no properly trained staff, no properly trained, um, um, uh, I would say, therapists. Um, I think, you know, they got social workers more involved as the 60s rolled on, and maybe they did you know, more better things in the 70s and 80s. But I met staff members who worked at these facilities, and there were three main ones in Ontario, but there were smaller satellite ones too. And the staff, and one of whom was Debbie Vernon, who's in the film, Debbie worked there in the 70s, and then she came back and worked 25 there in the 90s. 25 years later. Yeah, same. She and said, she it was said nothing same. changed. Nothing really changed. And so, you know, whether it was the quality of the clothing, the food, the sanitation, um, the way staff were, 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 you know, speaking to people, 
and how they were handled, how they were encouraged to be the best they could be. Um, it wasn't great. But the whole idea of an institution and separating kids off, I understand that there may be some beings in the world who are very, very different, who come into the world with a lot of challenges and very different, or through accidents or what happens or brain injuries can have a lot of challenges. And I don't know that we really explored that we're doing the best by just putting them away somewhere. Um, and whether that's even the most economical thing to do, let alone the best emotional thing to do, if we gave people direct funding. I know that the autism community, you know, the, the families have been, since the Ford government came in, in Ontario, you know, have been fighting for more and direct funding to support their kids at home. And it just kind of stymies me that we're not having a bigger, larger conversation around this. Around it, yeah, which I would imagine is one of the many things that you're hoping that the film will do and, and you know. I am, and I also want to generate conversations about long-term care sure. as well. And what, Which yeah, we know what, turned out to it blew up in our face during COVID, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Brian, you said you know you you uh, when you mentioned that you were there for three years, it sounded like you were sort of saying, "Oh, it was only three years." But it seems to me that three years was one day too long. In in, in this case, I mean, I guess some other patients were there for many, many years. Oh yes, yes. And uh, the only reason why I was there for the three years. Uh, it wasn't even my parents that came and get uh, my my mother that came and get me. It was her boyfriend that came and got me. And all I was doing is just foot in a room. I think I was about twelve. Then they got rid of me at twelve. And I lived out in the street. But then, you know, like I say, you, you don't know what destiny holds. Now I own everything I have now. I own a couple of homes and stuff like this. I did okay. Others didn't do as well. But. Um, the anger in me is still there. And if people say time, will, you'll forget, that's hogwash. You never forget. I still have it in my mind. I still remember every room I've ever been taken to. Um, I can describe that thing to a T. And uh, just that still bothers me. But you know something? Eventually, it'll go away after I'm not here no more. <laughs> Brian, how do you Brian, know? can I ask Brian a question? Yeah, sure. Go ahead. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, 
HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. So Brian, did it, when you, when you tell your story and when you told your story in the film and when you tell your story to other people, how did, how does that feel for you? Uh, a relief. That somebody else is listening to me. That uh, maybe they're concerned. Maybe it. Maybe it did happen. I was hoping maybe somebody could say, "Yeah, Brian, I really believe that this did that happen." Most of the time, when you tell people, they say, "Well, you know, I don't know." You know, until they see, till they see a movie and say, "This is a a true documentary." Then they take a look and they say, "Hey, I've had so many people call me and say, Brian, you know, I apologize. I didn't believe you before. Wow. Even my own lawyer did it." Burn Silverman. Yeah. She, we were going to start a, a, a class action lawsuit against uh, Aurelia in 1990. They wouldn't accept it. They wouldn't, they wouldn't even hear me. But, but all of a sudden, the two girls got involved, and I guess I went with them. I should never have went. I, I, I wish I had a win on my own, but uh, it's okay. Well, that, that's a good point because it, it, it's so, so what you're hearing. Um, David also, and this goes back to the 1950s when there was an indigenous boy who was killed and everybody closed ranks around the staff member. Oh, it was, a mis- you know, he, he injured himself. It wasn't uh, anybody's fault. They, they even had an inquiry. I, I could have done a whole half hour just on that story. Sure. There was sure. an inquiry. There was an indigenous boy who was brought down at 17, possibly had mental health issues. Um, from Moose Factory. And he got into a fight with a guy who was later to be spoken of as a very, um, shall we say, challenging staff member Mm. who was really tough with the kids. I should point out that what happened after the war, by the way, is they hired a lot of veterans, probably not well-trained, who, why would you put veterans who probably had PTSD in charge of children? Let alone children who may, who so may many, or may not. There's so, so many has, levels to the story that are just yeah. broken. You know, I was I was interviewing somebody uh, recently, and uh, Gabor Mate. I don't know if you know yes, that name, course. but tons of yeah. work on trauma and so on. And somebody says, "Oh well, you know, the system was broken," and then he interrupts them and says, "Yeah, that assumes that it was ever uh, functioning properly and well in the first place." That was in my friend and, Karen Wookie's film. There you go. Exactly right. Yeah, that's yeah, exactly her film right. about Bill Bill Cosby. Yeah, yeah, and, absolutely. And, and, and no, those women great. who well, suffered. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's just that assumption, right? It it just shows you how how deep uh, the dysfunction 
uh, well, goes. And and with that story, just like Brian was saying about being believed, so that boy died in the same year my my um, my brother died, I believe. I think it was 1957. It was either the year he died or the year he came in. I can't remember now. But it wasn't until 40 years later, even after an inquiry that hushed it up in the 1950s, 40 years later, survivors came forward and said, this happened. Mm. We saw it. The guy beat the living bejesus out of this kid. He died of a severed liver or something. And then the OPP got involved and charged the fellow. He could ne- He never went to trial because he died before his trial of a heart attack. So is that karma? It was certainly not justice delivered to the boy and his and his Albert Morrison, his name was, and mm-hmm. his and his um, family. So that's you know there's a close closing of ranks that happens. So in Brian's case, trying to you know raise a raise a, a charge in and sue in the early 1990s i'm sad to say it's i'm not surprised but i'm i'm just pure you know i'm sad about it um but the weight of evidence which is what marilyn and jim heard when they started talking to people and they thought these are people who haven't talked to each other in years and all their stories are similar there's got to be something there's something else going and that's what raised it to the level of a class action it's class action brian um you say the uh, you still have the anger you never forget. I think that comes out in the film as well. What what do you do? I mean, I guess your woodwork. That's you. You create. You is that is that like, is that almost like a form of therapy for you? Is it, 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 it's a it's a it's a. I call it a timeout mm. where where my mind is only thinking on the the item that I'm trying to deal with right now. I mean, I have a lot going on in my backyard, and I continuously busy. So I don't have to think of this. I mean, I wish it would go away. I wish somebody, some, some psychiatrist someplace can say, okay, Brian, I, I can pluck it out of your mind. Then, then please do it. Mm-hmm. I were I'd rather, I'd rather forgotten. But now uh, now nobody's going to forget. Uh, uh, she made a beautiful movie. And now the graveyard is finished. Which makes me happy. That the people that didn't make it out of there have a place to rest to know that they know that we did our best to make it make it understandable that they were victims too, as well as I am. But uh, other than that, uh, no, there's, it doesn't go ever go away. It never goes away. Yeah, yeah th- th- thanks, Brian. And thanks for just being courageous enough even to have this conversation with me and with Barry today and for being a part of this film and for telling your story because it is important it's important that I hear it and that my kids hear it and, and, and students hear it all over, not just in Canada, but all over the world. I think there's many stories like yours. And and it's, it's, it's funny how it goes. My kids, uh, I have, uh, uh, five children and some of them are psychologists and they said to me, dad, I really don't want to read the book. I don't want to think anything Mm. other than what I know now. And that, uh, that was okay. I can, I can understand that. They don't want to be thinking anything less of her dad, you know, like they don't want to hear that her dad was raped or beaten. Uh, 
sodomized uh, whatever whatever else but it's okay i i understand that and i never i never let them read the book or anything so well, i kept it brian and barry i mean barry in your research brian and your telling of your story i'm sh i mean there's a part of us that do, that don't i mean we don't want to know that it's true we don't want to believe that it's true right so we see a film like this we hear a story like this we we listen to an interview like this and well you know it's 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 almost like a defense mechanism i mean yeah. Barry, is this is this your sense i mean because you kind of you you ask some pretty big philosophical questions near the end of the film and you know you're talking about not reform but care and and this is just sort of pre you know as you move into the remember uh, every name but but what were the forces at work you know that got us to this place in the first you know, uh, place. How 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 did we arrive here? How did we create these types of institutions that were so, almost, I mean, intentionally built to keep people down and mm -hmm. to keep people marginalized? Mm -hmm. It just it's it's mind boggling. How did anyone ever think this was a good idea? Right. Right. That's, for for me, what do you have a sense? Do you have an answer for that on some? Well, level? I think I think that um, there's. Part of my answer is about human nature, and part of it is about um, ideas that took hold that mm. people thought were good ideas. Right. So one thing I think about human nature is that I think we have a bad habit of um, distancing ourselves from people who we see as different, whether they're different or not, whatever that means. I think in human evolution, we have a long way to go into, into recognizing and loving difference in, in ways that benefits us all. Um, but I think that human nature um, categorizes and likes to separate off like there's a tribal part of us is sure. what I'm saying. Yeah. We right. get very tribal. And when we do that, and as a Jew, I can tell you, given Holocaust history in my in my culture, um, that when we've learned from the Holocaust, when you other somebody, when you see somebody as other and you dehumanize them, and you think that they're less than human, or like when you, uh, like I kept imagining children like my brothers, and their cries maybe for their parents were not considered cries for their parents, maybe. That they, I think the institution staff probably told themselves, well, these kids are different. They don't feel pain the way you and I feel pain at right. losing our parents. This is what I think the lie they told themselves so they could get through their day. What is that doing? That's dehumanizing. So when you dehumanize people, you can do anything. You can do any. You can do anything. When you, you can do them, anything. When you turn them into a number, basically. You turn them into a number. You turn them into something that doesn't feel the way, quote unquote, you and I feel. So there's that tribal aspect. But I think what comes out in the film too, which I tried to point out through Madeline Burkhardt's work, is that the the 19th century ideas about productivity mm. and about capitalism and about, about capitalism. who was a productive citizen and who wasn't sure that fed into tribal ideas as well and once that happened then there was a sense in which oh well you know kids who have developmental 
challenges, um, how do we make them productive? Can they be productive? Um, if they can't, then who are they? What are they? It's hard to um, watch, Barry. It's hard to watch some of that old footage, you know, some right. of those films that the Canadian government made. See, listening to John uh, John Kennedy speaking, right? Just yeah. and, and you know, Bobby Kennedy. Yeah. Sorry, Bobby Kennedy. You know, it's the time. You know, there's a certain amount of, I guess you, I suppose, historical slack that you cut some folks. I suppose in these types of situations. But that but, clip, by the way, from Kennedy is he's disgusted at the snake pit. He calls right, it a snake right. pit. Yes, yeah, absolutely. But I, I guess I'm just referring to the language, even you yeah. know, and seeing how the language has shifted from yeah. from then till now, and how much yeah. farther we still have to go with respect to all of these things. I think one of uh, I think I don't know if it was. Um, was it Kate who who brought this up? But the idea of that, you know, uh, these these places were designed designed by people in power. Maryland, and, and, yeah, yeah, Maryland, and I just I just find that really interesting, and it, it's not even just it, it's not just interesting. I think it's revealing, and you know, and 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 I love that your film is about so many things. It's about people. It's about story. It's about the the power of personal story. And uh, Brian, I mean, it's so is about that as well. But you get into you know, junk science, you get into eugenics, you get into history, you get into uh, architecture and how important that is. I mean, I, can you can you talk, either of you, talk a little bit about that idea because we got to wrap it up soon, but that idea about an unlovable space. It's just, first of all, it's a, <laughs> it appeals to me as an academic, but boy, there's a lot of practical reality and value to that. Notion. Well, maybe Brian, you know, was there anything lovable about any of those spaces there? I thought that they were we were less than human. I mean, we were we we were considered that when we weren't doing anything to sit up against the wall and be quiet while they played cribbage. A lot of kids rocked, you know, back and forth. But no, there was there was no construction of anything. There was no there was no nothing. And basically, we were in nightgowns. You know, we didn't have any clothes, no socks, no underwear, no t-shirts, just a a full nightgown. And that's what they pretty well dressed us in. Were there playrooms? No. Uh, usually the playrooms were uh, a small skinny corridor, but they took them down off the building now. They took them completely off the side of the building and they called them the playrooms because I've been there a couple of times with a couple of staff. The, the only thing that I heard from survivors was that sometimes school would be okay. What was school like? It didn't, didn't do me no good. It, I remember I was, your I report just, cards were good report cards. Then tell me how come I can't read or write? Good point. But you know something? I'm a survivor. I, I, I can survive just about anything right now. You've seen the things I build. Yeah. So there's, there's nothing that I cannot do. It's just the only thing is uh, maybe uh, God's being merciful to you people. Maybe if he taught me how to read or write, you'd be in big trouble. <laughs> <laughs> because I could do so much with my hands. I mean, this. Yeah. Each, one, each one of these things or each one of these squares are 15 cuts wow. on a saw. Yeah. And that's and that's perfectly round. It, it's perfectly it sure is. Well, it's a mathematical mind in there somewhere. <laughs> it, it, that is for sure. Yes, yeah. a, pu a puzzle solver without a when doubt. It, and when it comes to stuff like that, I I, I do okay. Yeah, I do I would okay. Say but so. other reading and writing doesn't do me any good at all. It's usually I I um I prop myself body language. When I approach somebody and talk to him, if I find out the, any with uh, anything whatsoever, then I back off. Mm. Because then I know they don't want the conversation or they just, just don't. Uh, 
have no time for me. So I don't use up here. I usually stay up here and I usually figure out what I'm going to do next. Right now, my hands are tied because it's winter and it's uh, a lot of snow up here today, but uh, I'm, 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 I'm getting sick of the winter. Yeah. I think I might just decide to my, call my baby sister, tell her to send me a plane ticket and come out. Go, down go traveling, go traveling. Head, head yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm with you. I'm with you. Barry, as we, um, ra as we wrap yeah, up here, I just, wanted... just chat, chat a little bit about where we're heading with, or where you're heading with this story. And Yeah, uh, I mean, the only thing I was going to say about um, um, the unlovable space. Yes, yeah, yeah, that, please. And this is links into, it was built by power because the the, the place was built for the staff. Right. The place was built to manage Such a good point. Yeah. the population. The, the place was not built, and these places are not built, just like long-term care rarely are built for um, the people who have to live there um, and the children who have to live there or the seniors who have to live there or people who are chronically ill who have to live there. It's not typically, anyway, throughout the 20th century, these things were not built for other people in mind, for the actual residents in mind. They were built for the staff. They're built for efficiency. They're built mm. for, you know, on an austerity model. Sure. Yep. Um, and all the things that Kate Rossiter talked about in the film, that what are the conditions of possibility? They have to be far away. It's a despised population. It's staff who have, you know, too much involvement in the managing of their feeding or bodies that allows them to blur right. boundaries and proximity cause and so on. Yeah, these are austere places. These are places that are not welcoming to the families and so on. So, those are the things that make these institutions possible. And I think that people and your listeners should remember this when they hear about the growth of new long-term care facilities, and they need to ask. Who's running them? Are they being run for profit? That sounds kind of whacked out for me. Um, are they being run for the staff? Are they being, how are they being run and why are they being run? Who has a say in what they're going to be like? And the people who are there, there are they going to be there of their own free will or are they being, you know, like are they yeah, being yeah. Um, shunted into these places? And well, I got, me, I got a big problem of, um... with it's prisons who who are prisons designed for right and i know right. there's a there's a i believe a, a eastern european philosopher i can't think of his name right now who says you can tell a lot about a country a government a people by the way they treat their prisoners and i i would think that same thinker would say the way you treat your children or the way you treat your children that i guess have been discarded now what do you do now what do you do with that right and i think that somebody says that in the film right they were sort yeah. of they were taught that they were not worth anything they weren't really right. people they weren't really human and that they were something that could be discarded and that's just yeah. it's, it's marie it's, slark says it it's she appalling, said we were treated right? like animals yeah treated yeah. like animals it's appalling. And the architecture pushes that on them as well yeah go ahead Brian. yeah you hit the head right on the nail hmm. i've heard that so many times that it's not funny. Wow. That I was there for their convenience, not 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 there for me. me. But I, I don't know. I mean, hopefully all good will come to this. But this is not the only place. I mentioned to Barry one time when they closed it down in 2000, I think it was 2000, uh, uh, 2009. 
Well, when I moved up here to Camelford, I didn't realize where these people went. Well, I realize it now because down the street from me, they have a fenced-in community. And I happened to go in there. I wanted to know what this fence was for. Well, they didn't have to take too long. There was adults in there. I mean, adults that were at my place. Was it a group home, right? Yeah, but it had a big, huge fence. I mean, it had to be 12-foot fence, barbed wire going into the inside. Well, that's a good place to, to think of, to end maybe also is because it's to remind people that there are still institutions um, and we don't call them institutions. Um, we might, we they're called group homes or, you know, residential communities. Long, um, long-term care facilities. The long-term care facilities. Yeah, yeah. the language. Something yeah. else that came up for me, Barry, is just how important language is and how important it is to ask these deeper questions uh, uh, about all. Um, Barry, is there a website people can go to to find out a little bit more uh, about the film as well? There are two websites. Um, one that survivors um, um, helped to put together called RememberEveryName.com, and they're the ones who pushed for that monument. That's right. And yep. then... Um, when the film finished in the last few years, there's been these beautiful benches that now have been put in, in the last year, um, that uh, Brian and I were talking about going up and having having a look at them, um, so that people could come and actually rest and sit and be, be in that space um, to really complete the whole um, cemetery there across from the institution where there's unmarked graves. Um, so that's, RememberEveryName.com, and then the other one is just unloveddoc.com. Uh, they should be able to find it. Unloveddoc.com. Uh, Unloved, yeah. RememberEveryName.com and UnloveDoc.com. Well, thank you to you both for spending a little bit of time and helping us to dig a little deeper and to peel back a couple of layers. I wish everyone gets to, I hope, trust many, many people, everyone, uh, certainly every Canadian gets to see this film. It's an important story. And again, Brian, thanks for your courage and for your willingness to step in not only to today's conversation, but to the film as a whole. And Barry, thank you for, for the Thank film. you, David. We've been talking with uh, Barry Cohen and Brian Logie about the new film, Unloved, Huronia's Forgotten Children, here today on Face to Face. Thanks so much for joining me today. Well, there you have it, my conversation with Barry Cohen and Brian Logie talking about Unloved, Huronia's Forgotten Children. You can see it on CBC Jam, hopefully coming soon to a digital theater near you. And uh, don't forget, davidpecklive.com for more information about my writing and my speaking. Uh, you can pick up a copy of my book there. And you can see uh, close to 600 podcast we're about to break uh, across that uh, that line how can 600 podcasts that's a lot of conversations that we published here at face to face i hope you've enjoyed some of them please go back and look through our library and leave us a review wherever you're listening to podcasts we would so appreciate it my name is david peck you've been listening to face to face even when we're on a budget we still deserve nice things Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. 
Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.